listening to the Wisdom, Truth, and Freedom Podcast, where we share our wisdom, speak the truth, and enjoy our freedom while we discuss topics that impact our world through the lens of our different views and backgrounds. While we're not experts, our opinions are expertly held. All right, so the topic at hand today, why are young, Amer- young people in America not interested in the Founding Fathers? So I wonder if we can perhaps uh, quickly say what we mean by Founding Fathers. Could somebody, uh, what do we mean by that? But also I think you have to define the word relevant. We can do that. Okay, so I looked it up in a dictionary. It says closely connected or appropriate and having value. Very good. The word relevant. Okay. That makes sense. <clears throat> so why why all of that regarding our founding fathers? I asked uh, some people about founding fathers, and uh, half of them knew what a founding father was, and half of them did not. <laughs> so what is generally meant by founding fathers? Well, don't most people consider the four it would be Jefferson, Madison, Adams, and Franklin. Even though mm-hmm. there were others, yeah. those were the the key that people talk about the most. Yeah, I think if you narrow it down to something as narrow as the as the uh, framers of the con- framers of the Constitution yeah. is a good synonym for it, which would be Madison, <coughs> but also the framers of the whole idea of the American Revolution. I think you have to include Washington in there. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. you have to include a lot of the guys who were in the room on July Fourth. 1776. You got to even include people like Aaron Burr. Yep. Um, all the ideas that were floating around there, but the main ones, I think we're all thinking about Madison, Hamilton, Jefferson, uh, Franklin, Washington. Um, Patrick Henry. But you got to go to the Patrick Henrys and the Samuel Adams, the guy who put the guys who actually put their necks on the line yes. for the idea. They didn't pen it on paper, but they. Um, they actually, you know, uh, guys like Patrick Henry um, with his speech and even the guys who actually fought the war, they actually, uh, they put their neck on the line. You can't say that Thomas Jefferson didn't put his neck on the line, but he didn't carry a rifle either. So so it's a lot broader, but when we think about ideas, I think we can narrow it to five or six people. So uh, most uh, uh, historical scholars include every, every one of the ones that you've mentioned the only one that, uh, that you didn't mention was George Mason, mm-hmm. John Marshall. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> also John Jay, because John Jay wrote some of the Federalist Papers, but he, he then became ill, so he only wrote six yeah. of them, but still he's one of the, and, uh, he's one of the writers of the Federalist. Um, and you hit it on the nail by the same token. The single most important item as to why they're considered founding fathers was the, obviously the framers of the Constitution. And then they include two other items, uh, the Declaration of Independence and the uh, uh, conventional, uh, the Constitutional Convention, mm-hmm. the, the whole aspect of that. Uh, how yeah, it was, uh, a lot of the guys were in both, but there were a lot yeah. of new, a yeah. lot of guys weren't in both. Um, uh, Thomas Paine, I mean, you can almost call him one common sense it's going back a little bit but but yeah I think we're talking mostly about you don't want to leave anybody out but there's enough to enough to chew on with just those four or five yeah but you can't leave Washington out simply because of his his I mean without Washington 
we wouldn't have been where there wouldn't have been founding fathers. So, so let me ask you. Let me ask this question. Um, and it's this is probably going to be the chicken or the egg type of question, but. Um, <clears throat> And we're talking about the relevancy of the founding fathers, uh, obviously for for what they did. Uh, but why are they not relevant to a young person? Let's ask. Let's start with that. Why 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 are they not relevant? Well, they've always been boring, right? Even when we were young, I I was a weirdo. I was strange because I loved that stuff. But the average kid was always bored with history. You know, you memorize dates, you memorize names. And you know Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and but it was always boring. Now though, um, now we seem to be taking particular adults, and uh, and right now seem to be taking particular aim. And the revisionists are going after all of these mm-hmm. uh, historical figures, and 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 I'm not just talking about the founding fathers, and tearing them down. It seems to be a particular joy in tearing down great leaders, great men. And just proving and making a point that they're not they're, they're not great, that they're all and, and and nobody is immune to that, and it's only going to get worse. So I think now, and and this is particularly true in academia. So you have teachers out there who love ripping these people to shreds, and they're the ones teaching. Yeah, so. but they're ripping them to shreds because they're judging the past by today's standards. By today's standards. And anything you do with that, <laughs> let's take medicine. I remember when I was a young man in the 60s and 70s, cancer, the big thing was to cut. Cut, cut, cut. The more you cut, the more you can uh, overcome cancer. Then it became chemotherapy. Now they're going to gene technology. And probably in, in another 15 years, uh, chemotherapy will be considered barbaric. So you can't judge these people with today's standards. It, it just, or anything, it just doesn't work. No, and most of it, if you took one issue out, take take one issue away from the founding fathers. Um, I mean, you want to get into, into into people who criticize, they look at people, and this is a whole other rabbit hole, uh, about whether man is inherently good or bad. And if you're going to look at that, you, you start with the premise that a man is good, and so now you look for his faults. Or are you going to start looking at a man as man is inherently not that great, so you look at what makes this particular man great. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know someone like me, I see a great man because I see the, all, the his good features. Whereas a lot of these people who tear these founding fathers down, they immediately go for the negative, which we all have. That can be done to anybody in history, but there's one issue that is being used to tear everybody down now, uh, from that period, and that's slavery. You know, on and, that point, uh, I I had a sign in my office when I was in business. It says, "One's perception, true or bad." is their reality because my workers always used to talk to me about the customers and this and that I said their perception is their reality and that has to do with slavery because I knew we were going to discuss that so I looked it up I would bet if you ask the average person on college campus today or even adults what percentage of population uh, slavery was in the United States at the time that they're talking about of the founding fathers it was less than 5%. The majority of it was in Brazil. They had 52%. Mm-hmm. And that's not saying that 5% is excusable, but the whole world had slavery, and you're, you're going after these people because they had a small percentage 
and we were one of the first ones to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, and it well take it even to a more ridiculous uh, extreme. It's a geograph slavery is a geographical issue. Everybody living north of the Ma- north of the Mason Dixon line was good, and everybody who lived south right. of the Mason Dixon line. Why are, why was slavery so much easier to get rid of in England? Uh, or in England or New England, for that matter, than it was in the South, because the, the economies of of uh, uh, and the Industrial Revolution didn't lend itself to slavery. And in fact, slavery was on its last legs until what? Until um, Eli Whitney and the cotton gin. Mm-hmm. Now you and Eli Whitney. So we're going to just uh, paint Eli Whitney a, a bad guy because he invented the cotton gin and is probably more responsible for the proliferation of slavery in the United States than anybody. Nobody ever talks about Eli Whitney, but you can make the same ridiculous argument about him as you, you can about anybody. But it's a geographical issue. Mm-hmm. If you, geographical. If you own ten thousand acres and you're trying to grow something, it's kind of much more likely that you can use, use slaves than if you own a couple of factories in Massachusetts making shoes. But if, if 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 we're going to be stuck on slavery, we're never gonna we're never gonna get if we're never gonna get beyond that issue. I think that anybody involved in slavery is not worth not worth uh, talking about and not not worth recognizing as great. Then then we're never going to get anywhere. But, but so that's something that just has to be disposed with. That's a whole issue in and of itself. But if you're going to call Jefferson or Washington, I mean, we haven't attacked Washington yet. They're already attacking Jefferson. Um, we haven't gotten to Washington yet, but what happens then? What happens when we start attacking Washington and start talking about changing this and removing that and, and, and chopping down the Washington Monument? And, um, and it's, it's uh, I'm sorry to say, but that's where we're headed. So the, all that whole cloud of slavery and, and the imperfect, uh, nobody's claiming um, that these people are, are perfect. I, I look at it, and, and uh, I'm not sure we want to get biblical, but when has anyone ever been perfect, including the people, right? You want to go to biblical references, right? We do that every day. Who, who, who is perfect? Who, who are we holding everybody up to? Yeah, but the uh, question is we're talking about, it's, it's related but slightly off topic. Why does it not relate to the young people? Why are they not relating to the founding fathers? Why are the founding and I don't, I don't think it's, it's because it's totally, as you say, they're a little dry or whatever because – Listen, I w- you can tell by my voice I'm from the Bronx and I didn't have the highest education, but I had interest in it. And the reason why I had interest in it because I was taught. That's and nowadays they're taught emotions and uh, gap, in my mind, w- one or two words that can stimulate them, but they don't tell the whole story. And since they don't hear the whole story, they react on emotions. That's what everybody's reacting to. So they find these guys not interested because they're old in their minds. They have no concept of what they went through or what they did to appreciate it. And to put it up against other societies, take the French Revolution, which was based more on democracy. They they went with democracy, and that's why it got so violent. And why we went with a republic, they have no concept of the difference. Because they're not taught it. I don't blame them. I blame, I blame the educational process. To that point, Frank, um, why are they not relevant? And um, are, they, are the kids being taught in school? And just on, uh, before I came here, I, asked, I happened to ask a young person, once I established that they knew what uh, founding fathers were, um, I asked them, uh, 
why are you not interested? Why why is it not relevant to you? And the first thing they said was, well, it, I've, I was never taught. We're not taught that. And uh, my wife, who happens to be a teacher, she's been a teacher for a long time. She happened to uh, uh, a public school teacher, and she happens happened to jump in and said, well, I can tell you why they're not taught. And she said they're not taught because, first of all, we're teaching to... Uh, to meet a certain quota and to make sure that we get the funding and then the funding enables our, us getting a race, which we never get a race anyways. But uh, So I'm teaching to the math scores and I'm teaching to perhaps the uh, the science scores and everything else just falls by the wayside. And then this young person also chimed in and said, yeah, and uh, oh, I asked, why why aren't the teachers teaching? And the person said, well, first of all, our teachers don't have a clue about it, mm. number one. And mm. when they do, the few that do, they hate the subject. They find it boring, and so they don't, they don't want to do it. And I thought to myself, man, <laughs> no wonder we're in such a sad shape or sad state of affairs uh, concerning civics. Um, so I pulled up a, a, a survey uh, this is uh, from 2014, a report from the National Assessment of Education, Educational Progress. And the report, uh, in, in essence, in, in, uh, in summary, it said that 18% of American high school kids were proficient. Only 18% were proficient in history. 18% were proficient in history. And, uh, and so with that, I mean... Uh, that that kind of explains why, first of all, why it's not relevant. It's not being taught. There's no interest being generated. The teachers themselves are not interested. They don't know much about it. And then an, another statistic that I, that uh, was uh, interesting of interest to me was that eighty um, percent. This is another survey, uh, Perspectives on History magazine by the University of North Carolina. Eighty-eight percent of uh, elementary school teachers consider the subject of history a low priority. Think about that, a low priority. Yeah, except when you need to vote 18 years later. Or, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, as you know, I, I taught history. Mm -hmm. I taught history to uh, 19, 13-year-olds in a new school. In the first year of the school, those 19 children came from about 16 different places the, from the year before. And what struck me, we're talking about stuff that if you don't have great interest, that may be dry, studying the Constitution, studying, uh, or as my daughter is studying this year, the Federalist Papers, which I, I love. But So, you know, that's one thing, uh, history. But history to me is also cultural history. Or history, you know, I'm sure, Frank, like me, when you were 12 years old, you studied the box scores when you got home from school. You grabbed the Daily News, and you looked and saw what um, Mickey Mantles did that day at Yankee Stadium. I mean, that's a form of history, and you, and you kept it to memory. You knew what, what uh, Ted Williams' batting average was, was 15 years earlier, and that he's the last guy to bat over 400, and that Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs, and he has the most, and Ty Cobb has the most hits, and all these things. The kids today don't even know that. And, and I tested that theory in my class when I was so dumbfounded at the disaster that I had in front of me. I went into shock for several weeks. I kept having to uh, step back and step back and dumb down and dumb down and, and until I could find the lowest common denominator, and I just kept going. Um, 
50% of the class weren't even close to passing my test, and it was, it was several grades below where it should have been. So I did a, 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 just a cultural survey of these 13 and 14-year-olds, um, ninth and 10th graders, right? That would be 13, 14, 15. And I asked cultural questions. Um, of the 19 kids, 14 of them didn't know who Babe Ruth was. So how do you expect them to know who Aaron Burr is? They don't even know who <laughs> Babe Ruth is. They didn't know Mickey Mantle. They'd never heard of Johnny Carson, John Wayne, um, things that we grew up uh, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra. They didn't know. I, what really hit me was like the Babe Ruth. I can understand. But imagine that. When I was a kid, I knew who Frank Sinatra was. He was 30 years prior to me. I knew all those things because that, that was music. It's like this great movie coming up right now, uh, yesterday, that I'm looking forward to seeing. Which the premise is, what if nobody knew who the Beatles were or forgot that the Beatles existed or how, whatever the premise is? Well, that's not all that far-fetched because look what happened with, with uh, Jay-Z a couple of months ago when he, he brought Paul McCartney on stage and, and he played a couple of his songs and everyone said, uh, the internet went crazy with people saying, oh, look, you know that Jay-Z, I think it was Jay-Z, mm -hmm. he finds the greatest up uh, newcomers, and it was Paul McCartney, <laughs> yeah. Sir Paul McCartney, and everybody is, wow, well, is who true. is this guy? Where has he been all this time? So it's not just how do we expect them to know anything about this when they don't know anything about anything. They're not being taught anything, and they have no interest in learning anything that, that is in the past at all. So why are we focusing on this question, which is a lot more boring than knowing who Babe Ruth is? You just hit the nail on the head with those teachers. This history is, is, knowing this history is the only thing that's going to ensure the survivability of this country. And, and to that point, teaching, we, we just celebrated 75 years from D-Day. Mm -hmm. And I have a grandchild, and I asked her if she knew what D-Day was, and she had no concept. No concept. She's 14 years old, <coughs> and it's already forgotten. And part of that, I think, is success or living in a culture <clears throat> as affluent as ours allows society and human beings to forget the past. It allows us to all be nar narcissists. Because what we have, we're, we forget what the struggle was beforehand. Yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's human nature. It's almost like the second and third generation of people who come to America don't work as hard. They may make more money because they're educated, but they won't work as hard as the first immigrants because to the first immigrants, it's new. It's a blessing. To the people who are born with money, the rich kids, they take all that for granted because <clears throat> they've never experienced the difference. These kids grew up in a world where they're not taught the difference between socialism, fascism, communism. They, they, they look to Mao... Che Rivera and uh, uh, Stalin, they have no idea how many people they killed because they're taught that, oh, uh, you know, democracy? Yeah. First of all, we don't even have a democracy, so I don't understand right. why they say democracy. But the, I guess the next question, is maybe it's off the topic, how do we get it back and can we get it back? Yeah, what would awaken the interest? Just like... Uh, you take a young person of any age, a teenager to uh, a millennial, and you uh, you fi try to find out what interests them. What if you if you were able to observe them from afar, um, 
and I'm not saying this is entirely correct, but I would I would imagine that we would find that they are heavily engaged in social media, heavily engaged in the in the pop culture, heavily engaged engaged in uh, social interactions and and that sort of thing, and so and they stay there. Their circle, even though today there is a lot more social media and we have more access. Their circle, it's so, in my opinion, so incredibly small. And so how do we drop a little something in their circle that causes them to do a double take and they go, whoa, what is that? How, do we, how, how would we do that in reference know. to uh, the Founding Fathers, civics, uh, history, all that? You're missing one huge piece of the puzzle, which is, I don't know what you would call it, fantasy? Um, the only thing I see young people interested in, you can put 10 great movies out. Like, like I said, I'm looking forward to that movie yesterday. I'd love to see it. It's a brilliant concept in my eyes. It, it'll make $100 million. You put out uh, Endgame, which is zero basis in anything resembling reality. All of the DC comics, all of the Marvel stuff, those are the only form of entertainment that is successful. Mm-hmm. Now, the form of of movies that are successful, everything, and same thing with TV. All those things with no basis in reality. How do you, how do you compete with that? You know, we're producing. On the one hand, there, there's so much great work being done uh, on on things about history uh, on like HBO, which you know you can you can spin yourself into the ground with some of the stupid things they do. But they produced, you know, the the Band of Brothers, which was incredible mm-hmm. about. Learning about World War II and what our parents went through, or or the Pacific, which I've watched several mm-hmm. times. My father-in-law fought in Okinawa and and uh, and Peleliu, and um, and I mean, incredible, incredible information at, at your fingertips to learn about things that were only fifty years ago. And I don't know how you can watch something like the Pacific or Band of Brothers and how that can't compete with Endgame. And and it and it was true; it actually happened. But that's what that's what you're up against. And I ask people all the time. These things are all over this, right in front of them in the same mediums that they're on every day, but they don't go anywhere near them. That, that's because, as I, I've always said this, everybody talks about the 1% and what they make, but they forget that Jay-Z, Beyonce, all these people are the 1%. They don't complain what they make compared to their roadies or right. the other people. They'll take a corporation where the guy's making money, and they'll <laughs> turn around and say, Oh, my God, you see how much he made compared to everybody else? They also forget that their retirement funds, whether it's the teachers' union, whether it's whatever union, is invested in these companies that they want to rip apart. (laughs) And their retirement would be destroyed. They have no knowledge. So, uh, to me, we tend to gravitate to what fills whatever satiation we have. And the example I use for that. People will go to Starbucks and spend $5 for a cup of coffee, but they'll drive two miles down the road to pay two cents less for gas. <laughs> gas is more functional, provides you an opportunity to go to work, your family to enjoy life, and coffee is gone within 10 or 15 minutes. I guess I don't drink coffee. but So what it comes down to is what you perceive emotionally benefits you, you're willing to support, even though logically it doesn't support you as a human being. The other thing I want to say, human beings will only rise to the expectations and the level that you put forth. I didn't want to 
read. I think it was called uh, Little Women. Or right. I'm thinking about some of the right. books that they made me read in fifth or sixth grade. I was about that level. Uh, but the expectation was that I was going to read it, Tale of Two Cities, whatever it mm -hmm. was, and I became a better person for it because mm -hmm. they set the standards. Right. They didn't allow the children to set the standards. Right. I, I could have said to the teacher, listen, I'm not interested. She would have said, I'm glad you're not interested. Read the book. That's right. So, so um, I may sound like a dumb question, but I'm curious. Uh, why? So we know we know we can assume that the teachers don't teach because they don't they themselves don't know or they find it boring. All right. So how about the educational system? What is behind it that the educational system feels that they can sacrifice teaching civics and history? Um, because you either have to agree believe that they have in mass conspired behind behind us all and say hey let's not teach about this or it has happened gradually and we find ourselves here today why are educational systems across the board doesn't matter and i'm not talking about charter schools i'm not talking about private schools i'm talking about the public systems across all major cities in america why are they not teaching uh, why are the principals or the superintendents of those systems not saying, you know what, we're going to teach civics, we're going to teach history? Well, it's been 50 years now. Mm -hmm. It's been 50 years of this, so it's, I mean... Yeah, but how did it start and why? What, what, why? Because they delegated and abdicated. Okay. No, it's, it's sort of like a, um, a slow-moving disease in your body. Or the best way I can put it is this. It's like a frog in water. If you put the frog in water and you turn the heat up slowly, the frog doesn't realize it's dying and eventually will die because the water boils. <laughs> if you put the frog in boiling water, the frog's going to jump out immediately. We've been put in a slow boil, and it's a degeneration that's happened over time. So it's sort of like you don't realize the patient is dying till the patient is on the deathbed. Yeah, the original, it's not so much who started this whole thing, but now now the teachers that are teaching are a product of it. They're, they're not the, they didn't initiate it, but they're, they're already second generation. So, so the, the teachers have already been indoctrinated or what for, an, you can take it back maybe to the 60s and the, and the progressive intellectualism of the 60s and the whole change, uh, that whole generation. That whole generation is now what's leading our kids. That whole generation is not leading, but that is, is our seniors now, right? The Vietnam era uh, are, in, are approaching and are in their 70s now, never mind the ones. So you have, you have teachers that have been teaching for 20 years who themselves were taught in the 80s and 90s. The cat was way out of the bag by then. I certainly have nothing. I, I was in private school my whole life. I had nuns teach me who had no agenda other than to beat this stuff into my head and I thank them every day that they did they had no salary they had nothing but I so, so you think there's a macabre and dark purpose behind it all that it that the grandiose plan the agenda behind it all was to gradually undo America uh, take the glue away uh, and and does it have to do uh, a lot about um, how colonialism colonialism and how, um, for the most part, a lot of Latin America has always been taught 
that America was the big evil, the colonialism and the and the capitalist pig. Do you think that there's some of that and perhaps maybe uh, has a lot more to do with uh, the beginnings of socialism starting somewhere and now taking hold? Uh, I mean, it, 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 I have to admit, it takes a lot to, for me to believe that, but... Yeah, that's a conspiracy other- that you don't want to believe, but it definitely took hold in our universities. Our universities, and, and now it's a snowball rolling down the hill. Now the snowball is so big that it's, it's virtually out of control. Oh, but yeah, I think that between that and things like the teachers' unions, which were always left-leaning... Um, I think that those just put, they they got ingrained into our education system, and I, I don't. I'm not saying originally that their motives were were um, weren't pure or at least well intentioned, but now all I know is that the only way this country survives, and again, remember we started this with the framers, and why do we even care? I don't care if somebody plays a video game or this is their thing, like. Like Frank said, this is everybody's got their. The only reason why what we're trying to talk about is important is because without understanding that, the founding fathers and everything, and our unique situation of the United States, the unique idea of the United States will cease to exist. And it's no longer being, if that continues not to be taught, then we are going to cease to exist. So, so um, once the melting pot stopped being a melting pot and people we began to uh, celebrate our differences more than our what united us uh was it a conscious effort then to begin to um to denigrate or, or the, the the idea of america and begin to take it apart little by little where the conscientious i be, i believe that there probably there are parties to this that are un, unconsciously doing this and they don't know it but then there's probably enough parties out there that are consciously uh uh, embarking on this uh, kind of dark agenda, I, ca- I call it. Um, so, okay, so we know. Back to the original question. So, all right. So the kids today don't know the relevancy of the founding fathers. They don't know about the founding fathers. They haven't been taught. The teachers don't want to teach it. Teach it because they themselves don't know it and they find it boring. The educational system, perhaps, maybe there's a a bigger agenda than we either are willing to admit or, or, or don't know about it, that they consciously are, uh, America is some sort of enemy and must be taken down. All right, so, and back to the question, so how, what do we do? And by the way, we are, this group here today, we, we are Christians, and, and a lot of what we talk about always uh, has a, uh, we touch on the Christian principles. So keeping that in mind, how do we impact this this the, the young people how do we how would we if if this was a child of yours and you all of a sudden find out that this individual your child has fallen through the cracks and does not know what do you do how do you bring them back how do you create an interest that again as i said before that they do a double take and say wow i never knew that i want to know more about that well it can it can be done there's several examples locally you know, my daughter and, and, and your grandchildren go to a school where they decided, you know what, we're going back 40 years, and we're starting with uh, with the classics, and we're starting going back to rhetoric, and we're going back to thought and logic and debate. Remember that word, debate, <laughs> right? There's that. And then there's things on a more national scale, like uh, Prager University, okay, which it's one of those things that gives me incredible um, – 
uh, hope for the future when I sit and look at the screen and watch the views and, and then see the statistics that 60 or 70 percent of the views on, on something like Craig University are in people under the age of 30 or under the age of 35. This is something that just as long as just as much as it took 50 years uh, since leave it leave it to Bieber days to get from there to here, it's going to take us 50 years to get it back. But I, I think it can be done. I think eventually people, uh, if if you sow the seeds and and you and you, it, it it'll eventually start to spread. I think young people are going to eventually get fed up with um, realizing that they've been fed a whole line of nonsense. I think it, but it's not going to happen. Probably not going to happen in our lifetime. I think all we can do is is um, you know, start to start to walk before we can jog, and then and then hopefully that it continues. But there are, there are definitely signs that it can go the other way. I think mainly because I think the other side, the people that are causing the problem, are going to are just continually and increasingly shooting themselves in the foot. College, I see college in the next ten or fifteen years, as more and more people are going to start to look at it and say, "What a bunch of nonsense." And I think all of a sudden, college college um, enrollment, I would think, in, in the tail end of my lifetime, is going to start to plummet, or very well, or very well, maybe when you have people like Dennis Prager, right, one of the most mm-hmm. educated and and uh, scholarly people that I know, advocating to saying that you you know you're almost saying that you're virtually out of your mind to send your kids to college, <laughs> and and five years ago. I, you know, if you said that to me, I would have said, my kids are going to college. There's no question. You know, the proudest thing my father ever did was send seven kids to college and marry off five daughters. Now, in just five years, my whole view has changed as to what, where am I sending them? If, if they're going to be in the STEMs, if they're going to be, go and become a doctor or become a scientist or an engineer, fine. College is the way to go. But for 80% of the other things, it's, it's just not necessary. If I wanted them to be a journalist or a writer, I went to college and learned how to write. Uh, that's not happening anymore. We both know that. They're not teaching anything regarding the, the liberal arts. The liberal arts are dead. So why send your kids to college? And I think these, I think a lot of this is going to really start to backlash in the next 20 years. There was a thing this week about Oberlin, which, Oberlin College, which has never been my favorite place. Um, you know, it's one of the most liberal, if not the most liberal, university in America. They had uh, not just talking about the Baker case that they lost, oh, yeah. eleven million dollar judgment, which was wonderful, but they, they, uh, the students, uh, signed fifteen hundred students signed a petition demanding that no grade be given out in the college less than a C, because <laughs> if if and and that they shouldn't be required to take midterms because it was taking away from their. Um, um, social social justice time from their you know protests and, and so so this is why you send spend seventy thousand dollars a year to send your kid to school so he can go march around and and you know that was that was the big thing in the late sixties for a while but this is what fifteen hundred Oberlin College students wanted no, nothing less than a C nothing you know we don't want midterms because we need more time to go out and and protest Trump or whatever that whatever the heck they want to protest so to me. College is is uh, universities are going to find themselves kind of um, you know kind of the third wheel pretty soon. I, I don't I don't know if that's true because the problem is, especially since they want free college, you it's very difficult to take back what you give to someone for free because then it becomes 
something that they're entitled to, whether they are or aren't. So it's a difficult thing. I think philosophically, I agree with you, but I'm not sure if we can stem the tide quick enough. Because to me, the big problem is we allow young people to go to college without justifying why they're going to college. And my example I give my grandkids, when I went for a business loan, I had to fill out a plan, how I was going to pay them back, how I was going to make money, how I was going to be successful. You can go and get a college loan, and you don't have to prove anything. You can say, I'm, I'm going to uh, develop universal widgets. Well, what's the eventual profitability of universal widgets? I have no idea, they're going to tell you. But we'll lend you $60,000 to find out. Then they're worried about after they graduate, they don't have a job. Well, you, you pick the subject mm -hmm. that has no future. Plus, they blame the economic conditions. But when I bought my businesses, no one said to me, Frank, if the economic situation when you start going has changed, you don't have to pay back the loan. <laughs> I'm responsible for the chance I take. And college, whether you believe it or not, is a chance. Because I had a friend who was an engineer who wanted to work for NASA, and unfortunately graduated when NASA was being cut back. And this kid almost went through a depression. Well, he almost was depressed, not a depression, sorry. Uh, but it was just the luck of the draw. He eventually survived because he had an engineering degree, but no one can tell you what society financially or economically is going to be four or eight years from now. Well, it's certainly not going to be in gender studies. There was a thing, a survey last week where 80% of 80% of students or former students have uh, have no intention of paying back their student loans. They wow. they estimate that 80% of student federal student loans will not be repaid. And, and that's and that's the other thing. Talk about student loans because I have a, a nephew that's uh, in the financial aspect. All this changed when the government guaranteed the loans. Mm -hmm. Because then there was no reason to ask the question of, as I already alluded to, why are you going to school and why are you studying this particular subject mm -hmm. and what is going to be the profitability? Mm -hmm. Everybody just rubber stamped it because you know what? The government's going to pay. Yep. Yeah. All right, give them the loan. Excellent point, Frank. <clears throat> Here's a thought. So... If uh, our shared history, whatever united us, whatever brought us together, whatever we identified as, and and if you can take it back in, uh, in the, during the time of uh, uh, as this nation was being formed, or you can you can even talk about your own family, a shared history between yourself and any loved ones or friends. Okay, so if the shared history of any of any anything. It's going to be denigrated. It's going to be done away with. It's going to be maligned. It's going to be forgotten. It's not going to be repeated or taught anymore or, or caused to be remembered. Then it leaves the person, and this is just conjecture on my part, but I believe it. It leaves the person left wanting identity, wanting, okay, so what do I belong? What, what do I belong to? And that, I think, it's a, a direct danger to the whole concept of the, of the melting pot. So I no longer then feel that I am a part of a group, I'm a part of a neighborhood, I'm a part of a state or a town, 
I don't have to fight for them. I don't have to protect. I don't. It's all about me, 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 me. So that's my philosophy that uh, the shared history was done away with. That gave rise to uh, that individual, not rugged individualism, but uh, uh, arrogant and uh, selfish individual individualism, which then gave rise, has given rise to the identity politics uh, uh, danger that we find ourselves uh, today. And so that's where I think, uh, uh, and, and of course, uh, the, uh, the educational systems and many scholars, I got to say, many historians have focused or have begun to focus solely on the blemishes and on the bad aspects of the founding fathers, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Tom, rather than look at the uh, work that they did, because nobody's perfect, and you laid out the, the premise, nobody's perfect, they have begun to just focus on on whatever blemish that individual had, and so that gave rise to the revisionist history. So to, I see this almost as a cycle, a vicious cycle, whether conscious or, un, or subconscious, that has taken place and has left us with what we have today, I, I believe a cancer, uh, identity politics, which I think it's, it's going to be our, uh, the, the death of our nation because there's no longer a common goal Unfortunately, only when there's a catastrophe as such as we saw in uh, 9-11, that brought us together. But for how long? <laughs> how, uh, how long were we, yeah, 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 and rooting for the military, rooting for our president? Mm -hmm. That went away really fast. Mm -hmm. It went away. I mean, immediately the media turned, and right away they, they started criticizing the war effort and all that. The very first shot across the bow that I recall... You guys might remember another one. Was when President uh, George W. Bush was on that ship, and a big banner behind him what said "Mission accomplished." Oh, mission accomplished. Well, I could understand. I could understand what that was meant, but they took that completely and they turned it around and they ridiculed the president, saying, "How could he say that mission is accomplished when really uh, all we've done is this or that?" And so that was the, the, first, the first attack, I think. And from then on, it became nothing. Volumes have been written as to how the media completely control the, uh, the, the mindset or the, uh, the rhetoric or the narrative. The narrative. And so quick, how quickly did we forget the reasons why we went out there? I don't care if we never found WMDs. I'm, I care about the fact that we eliminated a despot from this world, a total despot that was subjugating and completely, because I've lived under those conditions. Right. Uh, and one, day, one of these days I'll share about that, but uh, we eliminated a complete despot that was subjugating and, and annihilating his own people. I don't care if there were never any, any uh, WMDs. So a full circle, I think, um, teachers are not teaching. The school systems are not uh, teaching. Perhaps there's a macabre uh, uh, hidden agenda here. It has led us to uh, uh, identity politics. Um, by the way, I was thinking the other day, too. Remember the show, Jay, uh, Jay Leno, how he would go out and, and the, the jaywalking, they, he right. would call it? Mm -hmm. And uh, a funny thing, he, he never asked the people, Hey, can you tell me what the Magna Carta is? Right. No, he just simply would say, "Hey, who's our president? Who's our our vice president? What what uh, who did we fight in the Revolutionary War?" Nobody knew. 
Nobody knew. So when, when was that? In the 80s, 90s? Okay, so this has begun. This has been, and now today, uh, it's it's gotten completely out of hand. Um, so how do you expect them to understand the electoral college? How do you uh, <laughs> under, and 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 this goes all to this all goes to the why are we talking about this again? We're talking about it because because of um, of American exceptionalism of the uniqueness of of the situation we find ourselves in. This isn't just another country that's going to bite the dust. Or another form of government that's going to bite the dust. It's 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 the belief in American exceptionalism that, that the founding fathers were, whether it was by accident or divine inspiration or what, these these six, eight, ten, twenty, thirty people, fifty, hundred, thousand people um, came together during a moment of crisis and created something entirely unique in the world and something that has been replicated. Uh, by by uh, new new countries from I'm sure some Eastern Bloc countries after the fall of the Soviet Union like Lithuania or Latvia. How many people have tried to replicate what we did since in the last 200 years? So that so that's why it's important is that these these people all came together and they created something, but now no one has remembers anything about it. So they go and they attack and they look at something like the – how do you expect them to look at the Electoral College, which to me is the perfect example now, but it, it is not easy. It's not, uh, you know, it's not uh, History 101. It's History 301, the Electoral College, to truly understand the absolute genius of the, of the, um, of the Electoral College and why it exists and why it exists to probably preserve and that what geniuses these guys were to come up with something like that and that they, they spent – months and months formulating this um this uh all these ideas to put into the constitution so so what happens is is we either forget about it and if you forget your history uh right mm-hmm. you, you you're you're doomed now right we how many examples are there of that right hitler you know got destroyed in russia because he didn't all he had to do was look at napoleon he did the exact same thing as napoleon did Right? Any any idiot would have known not to not to do what Hitler did, but he didn't pay attention to Napoleon. Right? Same thing. So you have not only do we not understand anything about our history, but then the history that we do have, we bastardize it. You look at something like uh, one of my heroes is is Hamilton. Hamilton is clearly a hero. If you study Hamilton, you know that Hamilton was was one of those Federalists who. You know, part of him was a proponent of an extremely strong executive branch, you mm-hmm. know, two steps away from having a king, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Adams toyed with that idea. They would, they, all, all of them, Madison, they were all huge proponents of, of uh, not, or not proponents, but not, not having trust in, in the people. So they set up all these little safeguards to prevent <coughs> us from becoming, like Frank said, a pure democracy by creating a republic. And by creating these little barriers like um, like the Electoral College or the fact that we don't directly uh, – we don't do so many things directly. We do them indirectly, right? We protect ourselves against the, 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 uh, against the masses. But we, so you take a guy like Hamilton who was a genius in so many ways, but he had a lot of things that modern-day progressives – and this is what I love – modern-day progressives, if they truly knew Hamilton – most of them really shouldn't like him, yet yet they put this play on, and it's it true. becomes a huge true. hit. 
But you look at this play, and I look at it, and I say, why is this called Hamilton? It has nothing to do with Alexander. What is this? I mean, they, they're focusing on slavery. Yeah, Hamilton had a, a an abolitionist streak in them, but it was 1785 or 87. It was 30 years too soon for that. So that wasn't his priority, but that's what they made the play about, and they made the play about him being an immigrant and him being and the diversity and all and I, I'm looking at this place saying, you might as well call this something else because it's not a Hamilton. But guess what? Everyone who sees it thinks this is history. Yeah, so because, they're all champions of Hamilton. If they only knew. Yeah, but Tom, that's because the word slavery is the suit de jour today. It is. Whatever <laughs> you, you have, they have key words that trigger things. And people don't look to see whether it's fact or not. They no. just, just like I said, the whole you know, world revolves no one, around it. No one questions how much money. Uh, uh, what's the late night show guy Jimmy Kimmel makes? Right. But they'll question the guy that's running the company, because it's it's not the end thing, you know. Mm. Whatever yeah. the end thing <laughs> is justifies what they're doing. And I, I mean, we we should have seen the handwriting on the wall. I mean, look at Obama. Never was a fan of him. But when someone says we're going to fundamentally change America. Right. And you relate that to your relationship and say to your wife, we're going to get married, but listen, I have to fundamentally change you. What kind of relationship are you going to have? <laughs> this guy told us Run right away. from day one, <laughs> mm-hmm. right from Jump Street, what was going to be. And we looked the other way. I mean, you go right to the point of a whole other reason why this isn't interesting, because no one's interested in what old white men have to say anymore. And these are old white <laughs> men. The key thing is old white men. Or old, it doesn't have to be old. You just have to be white nowadays. If, if the University of Pennsylvania can take down a, stat, a, a, the, a portrait or a, a, a picture or a painting of, of William Shakespeare out of the main room or main hall of their English department, and and stow it away in a closet and replace it with uh i don't know who some no name uh no name poet um you know modern poet uh because he's an old white man and he, and what he has to say doesn't doesn't yet those same people who took down that picture go back to hollywood and even in marvel and dc and every and i'm not saying they're trash but every trash movie that comes out of hollywood they're still using shakespeare they're still using the, all the themes no. of Shakespeare is still the number one thing. They don't realize it. And, and to that point, Hollywood, is, uh, I forget the guy who's in charge of uh, Disney now, announced that he's no longer going to do films oh, yeah. because of the uh, abortion law that was passed. But nobody turns around and asks him, well, you just made a film in China. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> or you made a film in another country where uh, gay people aren't even allowed to be seen. Right. Yeah, they'll go make a movie in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but the question is, why doesn't anybody ask those questions? I mean, it's not, uh, listen, I don't think I'm any more intelligent. I think I have common sense from being brought up in the city, but I don't have any more intelligence than these guys who get paid probably millions of dollars to ask these questions. But There's I'm no more journalism. The media no, is just no lazy, and they don't want to ask. Because well, if the media asks questions around that... They don't want to ask the questions because they know what the answer <laughs> is going to be. There's no answer to you being selective, saying, in the country, I'm not going to uh, go make a movie there, but in these other countries, I'll look the other way. Just just like uh, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, what's, what's the company that bent down to China, and they're doing everything for their artificial intelligence? Uh, I don't know... If, which one it was, but they were talking about how the Chinese 
put these restrictions on because they know what they want to use it for. They control their people. Mm -hmm. But to make money, this company is is going along with it. Only be, and no one's asking them the question. So why are you doing that there? Yep. Well, let me. Uh, <clears throat> how about some uh, parting thoughts about this subject? So we kind of gone full circle. We uh, we asked about we asked the big question of the day: Why are young people in America not interested in the founding fathers? We kind of described or defined what are what were uh, who were the founding fathers and what are some of the things that uh, that made them into the founding fathers? Which, by the way, uh, did they even know that they were founding fathers? I think they knew they were onto something big. I don't think they would have sacrificed. They knew what they were sacrificing. I mean, you think they, they knew that uh, that they were a founding father? I'm, I'm, I'm a founding father in the full sense of how, how we think of a founding father. I, you think I, they saw that? I think the answer to that is I read a quote in preparing for this, and supposedly Benjamin Franklin was leaving, and a woman out in the street said, "So, Dr. Franklin, what have you done for us?" And his answer wow. was, "I gave you a republic. Wow. Now you have to keep it." Wow. Huh. So he knew he was creating, or I shouldn't say he, <coughs> they were creating something unique. But he also knew that it was fragile. And you also know you can't put, it's, it's almost like you know it when you see it, but you can't explain mm. it. And, okay. you, and you can't. Even Washington couldn't explain it. One of my favorite things about Washington when I was teaching history um, was uh, his... Um, uh, he, him being called the modern day Cincinnatus, mm. right? Cincinnatus was a great, a great general, Roman general, and just like Washington, when Washington was done, and he, all he wanted to do was go back to his farm, go back to Mount Vernon, and and live a peaceful life. And we kept asking, you know, hey, "What's what is it?" <laughs> just when I thought I was out, they pulled me, pull back, me in. back in. He didn't want to be president. He really didn't want. But he went because they served, you know, it was his duty. And all he wanted to do, he didn't want a second term, but it was his duty. And when he was done, he went back and he just wanted to be, uh, he just wanted to be uh, a, a farmer. So I don't think, and I think that was true of Adams. I don't think Adams felt like he was equipped. I think, you know, maybe um, Thomas Jefferson thought he was a little, you know. But um, I don't think, on the one hand, I don't think they realized what they created. But on the other hand, if they look and saw what existed now, I think they'd be, uh, I think they'd be running in the other direction, Amazing. screaming in the woods. Any parting thoughts about this subject, uh, Frank? No, <laughs> not really. I, I, I think we're at uh, a turning point, and I think the only thing one can do is support whatever, by whatever means you can to change. As we're doing the podcast. Dennis Prager was mentioned. Donate to Dennis Prager to keep it going. Mm -hmm. uh, get a free book. Uh, <laughs> educate. Uh, yeah, but the the problem with educate is it has to be done on an individual basis yeah. or through other people because the system has is, is so much tainted that it can't be changed quick enough to <laughs> to make the difference. So I think we have to support the people who already have the tools in place. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I and I, I think certain people are making it fun. I think Preg, for example, does a, a great job in making it fun. I think we, 
I think we support, and I, I, if, I wish I were younger, someone like, a, you know, the Candace Owens. But it's not just that. It's not just supporting people who agree with us. When I grew up, and even right through my law school years and all, my best friend was, I mean, we could not, we were so far apart. I mean, we loved each other to death, but we were so far apart politically that we weren't, forget, we, 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 you couldn't even measure it. He was a Woodstock. He was 10 years older than me. He was a product of Woodstock, was even at Woodstock. Uh, you know, he now lives in Georgia and is a huge Obama supporter, so to the point where we couldn't even talk to each other. Yet, for all the years that we were in law school and worked, with a, worked in New York together, we spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours discussing and debating and respecting each other because he came. The difference between someone like him and, 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 and today and I think he, 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 even, he, he would agree, is every one of his arguments came from a basis of knowledge and intelligence. He just was, he was, he was the classic liberal. Okay? He wasn't a leftist. He was a classic liberal. And, and, and those people had to be respected. But he, he was anything but ignorant. The problem today is most of these arguments, and, and, and it's one thing to have it in the general populace, because what did, what did, what did all of these founding fathers fear? What do they, what do they all expect? Um, the only way that the United States would be successful was if its po- if its population were educated. This system of government was only going to work on an educated populace, and that's and, what's changed. And have a religion, but not mm-hmm. in the religion. That's a whole. Not, not, yep. I understand, but yep. not in the religion of a sense any specific religion. No. A generic religion. I'm going to use that term where there was a god, and that we were responsible or held. Uh, accountable by him to our actions in this world, and and then the, and the left will go and take. You know, Franklin was an atheist, and Jed, they weren't. They were deists. They believed in, um, but you can't you can't look at the poor farmer's almanac, for example, and look at all the virtues that that uh, Franklin lived by, and not uh, you know, and the morals, right? Whether it be frugality, a penny saved, a penny earned, those are all you could call a lot of those. Christian basic Christian values, uh, you can't look upon that. But they'll they'll take that and 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 flip it right right around, you know. But the problem is now you can't sit down with someone that you disagree with and have that discussion. I'd much rather be in a room with people I disagree with that are willing to debate me. That's a lot more fun than talking to a bunch of people. But who as, I agree but with. as you alluded to, people who will use knowledge and common sense instead of emotions. Now, emotions have taken uh, over. Emotions everything. cannot have a discussion. <laughs> How, well, how can you how can you have a, a conversation about the uh, electrocology if you have no idea what it is? Mm-hmm. Or another example, uh, without getting off topic, you know Roe v. Wade. You know people like me when we talk about wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade. You know what happens? Very little. All that, that all that happens, for example, is it goes back to the states. That's right. And New York is still going to allow abortions, and Georgia is not. And that will never change. New York is probably not, certainly not in my lifetime, ever going to flip over to the other side. But we're leaving it to the states to decide, which, guess what? Whose intention was that? The founding fathers. Mm-hmm. So you got all these people running around saying, overturn Roe v. Wade and women are going to die. No, they may move from Georgia to New York or they may get on a bus and go to New York. <laughs> but the reason why we want Roe v. Wade overturned, other than you know the, the the life issue, and when we know there's only so much we can do there, is how we want to get back to the original intent of letting the states decide. 
right? We are in a republic. So, so little would change. That's a perfect example. And most people are just too, forgive me, stupid to understand that it, if it, Roe v. Wade were overturned tomorrow, very little would change. And, and I know we got to wrap this up, but it, it's not because they're stupid. It's because they're fed information that is incorrect. They're ignorant. And because the people you perceive to be the educators, whether that's a teacher or someone on the radio, you're presuming that they're giving you knowledge that is based in fact. And you take it in, unfortunately, even though it should be easy to uh, validate with today's uh, internet, most people don't. So they hear something, as you say, it's going to take away women's rights, and they run with it. And then the problem is, it's already in their mind. So mm -hmm. how do we get it out? That's and, the big and problem. With social media, if you hear <laughs> something a thousand times, it has to be true. So my final <laughs> thoughts on the subject is uh, kind of to provide an answer to the question in my mind. Are the founding fathers still relevant? And obviously, my my answer is 100% yes, they're relevant. And for this reason, I'm foreign-born, and I would say to you that to be an American is not a matter of genealogy. It's a matter of endorsing and accepting the idea, the idea of what America is, the idea of what, what it meant, how it was created, the idea that you can come here and be an individual and succeed at anything you put your head to. Uh, th that's to be an American. Um, mm -hmm. And it is those values, those values of that idea that were founded by the Founding Fathers that gave us the uh, the American system of jurisprudence. The American system of jurisprudence links every major landmark decision to the language of the Founding Fathers. Mm -hmm. And it is because of that that I, in my opinion, why they're still relevant. And it's a shame that our young people are not being taught that. It's a shame that adults don't know that. It would change your perspective on America, on life, on the world. If you had, if you took even a day to just read a little bit about, even uh, I don't, I know we don't have the Britannic Encyclopedia these days. It's all digital. But if you, if you just took a little bit of time to look up the Founding Fathers and read a little bit about it, you, and with an open mind, you would understand that. Unfortunately, we're so caught up in on removing monuments, so caught up on, uh, on identity politics and all that. But anyhow, that's my answer. I believe that they are. And uh, I think in the end, uh, we can find the answer. The Lord can give us the wisdom to drop the, whatever little, whatever it is that we need to drop on a on us an individual or a group of individuals, such as millennials and young people, to cause them to bring them back, to cause them to uh, awaken that that interest in them, to to read and to inquire and to uh, to have an inquisitive mind. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions for future discussions, you can reach out to us on Twitter at the WTF Podcast or email us at wisdomtruthandfreedom at gmail.com. Like always, stay wise, speak the truth, and search for freedom. <laughs>